It's my real privilege to uh, introduce you to Julian um, Adams. He's been with us um, with his wife Katia over the course of the whole uh, weekend. They've been such a great, great blessing to us, haven't they? Yeah? This may be your first time... It may be your first time hearing him, or it might be your third or fourth. But, but whichever it is, open wide your hearts, give the best attention of your minds, and let's give Julian a really, really warm welcome. Come. Fantastic. Um, what a joy it's been to be uh, amongst you, Katia and I, and the team. I've just loved hanging out with uh, King's Church Hastings this weekend. You guys have got an incredible gift of hospitality, um, and it's been such a joy just to be in a church that uh, has received us so well, has looked after us so well. I think I've gained a few pounds being here. Um, and it's been a real joy, so thank you so very, very much, uh, We've loved it. And uh, hearing story after story of what God's been doing has been so exhilarating for us. It's why we do the stuff that we do, uh, to connect a generation back to the Father, to connect a people back to um, uh, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're cared for. One of the things I love about uh, God's house is it's big, wide, and it's always open. And uh, you've got free access uh, into his house at any time. And uh, I just loved the worship this morning. Um, if we could bottle your worship team and take it wherever we go, that would be great. Just like Hastings worship team, Ogre Toilets, kind of just releasing some change in the atmosphere would be great. Um, and uh, you need to really know that you've got a good thing going up here. Um, and yeah. And just being in the presence of God has just been so refreshing for a whole weekend, uh, just loving on Jesus. And this morning I'm trusting that uh, if uh, you may be here for the first time, maybe this is your first time even in a church meeting like this, that you will get to encounter something of uh, the love of the Father. Because this morning, really, we want to invite you to come back home right into your father's heart. And uh, if you've been here lots and you're a member at this church, um, I'm trusting that this morning will encourage you and really um, bring fresh revelation of who you are in Jesus. Won't you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Katya and I get to um, travel into different nations. We run a ministry called Frequency which really is a church-based ministry helping equip other churches and organizations and different contexts to grow in the prophetic and how to hear God's voice, to grow in Father's love, and to have a significant influence on the people around them and have a significant influence in terms of God's kingdom in every sphere of society. 
and uh, we've been to numbers of nations already this last year, seeing God do some just incredible things uh, from people getting healed, people getting delivered, and coming into freedom. We've seen some remarkable healings, blind eyes open, some deaf ears open. We've seen, um, I, I shared with some guys, we've seen one lady who had a kneecap surgically removed. God recreated that kneecap. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, which is really, really exciting. Uh, we've seen a few other uh, wonderfully dramatic healings. I just got an email from a friend yesterday to say that a couple in their church that we prayed for about five months ago who could not fall pregnant, medically unable to fall pregnant, have uh, just announced that they're expecting a baby in May. Um, and I love it when God does that, when he, uh, he brings us signs to make us wonder and he confounds even the doctors as he does that. Isn't that good? Um, God's really kind that way. And uh, we just love getting to do that in different nations. And um, one of the things that we've understood about moving in signs and wonders, one of the things we've understood about equipping churches is that the fundal, fundamental message is about the heart. Um, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And uh, the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. And when we connect our hearts back to the Father, and the Father back to our hearts, when we begin to discover who we are, everything changes. And this verse that we're about to read is one of the verses that really helped me understand something of the goodness of God. And so in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I love this text because there's some incredible keys that I believe if we understand them will help us um, discover who we are and help us walk into our destiny. How many of you know that you have a unique destiny that God has planned for you? That there's something incredible that God has got designed for you. And when we begin to live out of that place, life becomes exhilarating. Your Christian life was never meant to be boring. Your Christian life was meant to be exhilarating, full of adventure. Um, I can't imagine what it must have been like walking around with Jesus. Every single day was different from the day before. Miracles break out all over the place, signs and wonders. He throws the best parties, the worst of the worst, want to hang out with him. I mean, it must have been absolutely exhilarating. Every funeral that he goes to becomes a non-event, including his own. <clears throat> I love that about him. It must have been absolutely exhilarating hanging out with Jesus. And our Christian life is meant to emulate and to flow from that same place of excitement and adventure in God. Above all else... The book of Psalms says, or Proverbs, I think it is, guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And this verse is incredible because it speaks about the renewing of your mind. It speaks about changing the way you think. Now, when Jesus came to planet Earth and uh, <clears throat> he began his earthly ministry, his message was not one of change your behavior. His message was not one of get holy or I'll smite you. 
His message was not one of try a little bit harder and work a little bit harder. His message was, I want you to repent. And when we use that word repent, most of us think that means feeling sorry for our sin. That's not actually what that word means. To repent means to transform or to change the way you think. And when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he says, I want you to repent, change the way you think about heaven. Now, heaven's an incredible place, isn't it? Heaven is the place not simply that we're going to go to when we die, but actually it's a coexisting reality for the Christian life. It is the hidden reality of our manifested life. It's the place that God dwells, rules and reigns in incredible grace and kindness. It's the place that the Father's love flows from into our hearts. And it's the place that we now live from as Christians. Because heaven is a reality that coexists with this reality. I love this building. It's quite an incredible building. You guys have done well. It's a really trendy, neat-looking building. But the presence of God does not reside in this building. Until the people of God come. And suddenly, in, in about two or three minutes into worship, you start feeling... Something's changed. The atmosphere's changed. Something's happening. The presence of God, the kingdom of God is being made manifest. We're becoming more aware of his rule, of his reign, of his goodness than we are of our surroundings. That's how heaven works. And so Jesus says, I want you to change the way you think because heaven, the reality of God's gracious rule and reign, is now within arm's reach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for the ordinary Jewish hearer at that moment, excuse me, they would have been blown away. They would have been gobsmacked, or should I say godsmacked, and they would have been going, are you saying that the domain of our holy God is now accessible by ordinary flesh? And Jesus would have said, that's exactly what I'm saying that we now get access into his dyna- dyna- into the dynamic of heaven. We get access into the rule and reign. And that repentance requires a change of thinking. The, the ability to access his rule and reign requires a change of thinking. And the Apostle Paul, whenever you read Scripture, he follows through and builds on what Jesus has said about the kingdom. And Paul says here, I want you to renew your mind. I want you to think very differently. Um, Because as you do, you will prove the will of God. In other words, God's good and perfect will for your life will be made manifested depending upon the degree of how you change the way you think. Now, I love this text because when we often read it, we, we sometimes miss some of the incredible bits that's happening here. And Paul says, in view of God's mercy, up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul has been laying an incredible foundation of our total need for him. That there is nothing you and I could ever do to make ourselves holy. There's nothing you and I could ever do to change our behavior patterns. There's nothing you and I could ever do to to make us acceptable in the sight of, of King Jesus. And I'm so glad that Jesus is the substitute for me. That because of what he did for me, I now have access into um, his kingdom. And Paul has been building this line upon line 
Throughout the book of Romans, he's been building this argument. In Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7, he talks about how we were dead to God, but now in Christ we've been made alive to him. Everything suddenly has become technicolor and alive. It's wonderful. In Romans chapter 8, he begins to talk about how we now get led by the Spirit of God. That's the authenticating mark of our sonship. That which sets us apart from anyone else in the world is that we have been given the Holy Spirit to rest and remain. It's incredible. We're now sons and daughters of God. And then he gets to this incredible climax. He says, because of this, in view of this incredible mercy, mercy is withholding what we rightly deserve. We rightly deserve punishment. We rightly deserve incredible disaster, but God withholds it and instead he's gracious and he gives us the very righteous life of his son that Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years without sin, without making any mistake. He gives us the righteousness of Christ as a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try and change yourself to get it. He gives it to you just because he loves you. Thirty-three years of Jesus' life is ours, as if we lived it, just because he loves us. And he says, in view of mercy, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want to just unpack some of this from, from, uh, from the center of it. He says, I want you to understand that you're not to be conformed, you're not to be shaped by this present age. For Paul, and in particular when you read his writings, Paul often contrasts two different time periods or two different ages or two different eras. He talks about this present era, this present age, this present time, and he talks about the future age or the future time that is breaking in on us now. He's talking about the age of God's kingdom, which is now coming into planet Earth and renewing everything. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited that God's kingdom was inaugurated in the person of Jesus. It means that since the time of Jesus, God has been on a redeeming mission of making everything brand new. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And very often when we read that, that verse, we think that that's simply about atonement for our sin, which now justifies us. In other words, we can stand before God is holy. I mean, actually when Jesus was saying it is finished, it was in the context of a garden. You'll see that in Genesis and in John, there's a contrast and a, a, a similarity that Adam lost a whole lot of stuff in terms of sin in the garden in Genesis. Jesus, our new Adam, at, at the garden of Gethsemane, restores us back to him. And when Jesus says, it is finished, it's not just simply saying that you are now justified, now that you, you, you now get to get into heaven. No, no, it was a reference to when the Father sat down on the seventh day and said, it is good. Creation can now begin to cover the earth. So when Jesus said, it is finished, it was not just um, about you and me individually. It was about the new creation now can begin to cover the earth and make all things 
new. It means that God's coming kingdom, the coming age, the coming kingdom is bringing with it peace, wholeness, healing. It's why this weekend we've seen some people get healed. How many of you have got physically healed this weekend? Just look up your hands. Look at the numbers of hands that have gone up all over the place. Wow. Let's celebrate that quickly because that's awesome. It's a sign of what it will be like when the kingdom of God fully comes. And there is a day coming, and I'm looking forward to it, when all of heaven will be consummated with the earth, and everything will be as God intended it to be. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more injustice, no more racism, no more segregation. God will come, and everything will be as he intended it to be. And so Paul says, in light of this, don't live according to this present age, because this present age comes with a whole lot of rubbish attached to it. It, it tries to conform you to its, its financial systems. It conforms you to its value systems. It conforms you in, into its thinking patterns. And all it does is provide death. I'm so glad that my bank balance is not attached to my Lloyd's account. My bank balance is attached to God's account. I'm so glad that my relationships aren't based on what I see on TV, but my relationships are based on the intimacy and beauty of Trinitarian community. You see, I, I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm not going to live under this age because there's a new age. The people of God are really the only true new ages on the earth. Because we have a new age of the kingdom that is breaking in and we are the dispensers of that kingdom wherever we go. And he says the way we not to be conformed is by being transformed through renewing of our mind. Now, one of the things that I love about this word renew is that it's an incredible word. In the original uh, Greek here, this word renew is the word ana, which means to think again, and new, which is the word kainos, which means to think again through newness. Think again through the lens of newness. Now, we've been talking about the fatherhood of God, haven't we, this weekend? We've been talking about that he's a real good dad. He's, like, outrageously good, and he gives you permission to over-exaggerate his goodness in the book of Ephesians. He says, whatever you think, ask, or imagine, God will do exceedingly abundantly above that. You've got permission to over-exaggerate his goodness. I think that's a good point, so I'm going to say amen to that myself. But the way we get to live in the realm of his goodness is by changing the way we think. And this word, anokinos, is very important for us to understand, to think again through the lens of newness. Now, the Bible uses two words for the word new. The first word is the word neos. Now, neos means new in relation to time. In other words, I have the new iPhone 6. It's new in relation to an older version of the iPhone 6, but essentially not much has changed, let's just be honest. <laughs> it's just that I can say I've got a thinner version 
nicer pictures, but actually not much has changed. It's new in relation to time. It's not new in relation to quality. The word kainos means new in relation to quality, function, and form. Everything about that has changed. In other words, I might have a nice iPhone 6, but when I have a Kynos iPhone, a new phone in relation to quality, form, and function, this new phone can supernaturally create the best meals just by, <laughs> just by blitzing a laser out that then whatever you want just suddenly appears. This, 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 this phone that if you use it in a particular way, it can cause you to translocate. So you can be in two places at one time. You can just, it's new, completely different in function, form, and quality. You get what I'm saying? It's completely different. And when the Bible says you are a new creation, it's not saying that you are new in relation to time. In other words, I've just had a great makeover. I look a little bit better than I did. I am the nicer version of my old self. That's not what happened at salvation for you. The Bible says that you became a kainos, a new creation. And that new literally means you are different in function, form, and in quality. It means you are a species that this world has not yet seen. Where are the aliens? You are new in relation to your quality. Everything about you has new DNA. Everything about you has been completely and utterly and irrevocably changed. That's what it means for you to be a new creation. So when the Bible says, renew your mind, it's not saying put more scripture into your mind. Because I remember as a kid reading this thinking, great. The way to overcome sin, the way to overcome temptation, the way to overcome bad things is by trying to get a whole lot more Bible into my head. And you know, the Bible is good, but I found after a while that I could quote the scriptures and still sin at the same time. (laughs) Because I wasn't thinking properly. This word renew means I now need to see myself in light of who I now am as a kainos creation, completely different, completely changed, completely rewired with new form, function, and quality in relation to my father. In fact, what is now true of my older brother Jesus is true of me. Because here's the truth of what it means to be a new creation. Here's the truth of what it means to be adopted. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, It's no longer I who live by Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, I am not the one. One book says I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I was in Christ on the cross. When Jesus died, the Bible says that God predestined you to be in Christ on that cross. Literally, when Jesus died, I died. (laughs) When Jesus was resurrected, I was resurrected. When Jesus was ascended, I was ascended. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, guess where I sat down? 
You see, the reality is, brothers and sisters, that you were once married to the law. Do you know that? You were once married to rules and regulations that governed your sin, and the result and the punishment would always be death. And the problem with the law is, the problem with God's high expectation of you, the problem with God's law is that it never will die because it lasts forever. It is perfect. The Bible says that the law of God is perfect and will never pass away. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when you're married to someone who's 100% right and keeps telling you wrong, it's not a load of fun. I can see some wives going, "Mm mm-hmm. Know what that feels like. Imagine being married to someone who keeps saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and they write about your wrongness. And they do nothing to help you. And the Bible says that marriage is forever. (laughs) So you're married forever unless somebody dies. And the law is going to live forever because it's perfect. Somebody's going to die and it's you. And the Bible says that you died with Christ. And you've been resurrected into kindness life, newness of life. You are completely different. You now have the same DNA that Jesus does. You now live in the overflow of who he is as his son. And your life must be filtered through the lens your mind must be renewed through the lens of who I now am as Kainos, new creation. Created beautifully, created exactly like Jesus. The problem is for most of the church <coughs> is that we're more preoccupied with our fallen nature than we are with our glorified nature. And so for many of us, we struggle with sin and temptation. We struggle with confidence in God. We struggle with the Father's love toward us. We struggle with the ability to feel accepted. We struggle with the ability to be confident because all we see is the old, broken, deflated, corrupted nature of our old self. And so we keep running back to our old self. I'm such a loser. I'm so pathetic. I don't have anything good in me. I'm just such a bad sinner. When the reality is you're a saint, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you've been changed from the inside out, you cannot identify with that old nature any longer because he's made you a new creation. The Bible says that it is a sin to talk to dead people. It's called necromancy. And too many in the church are committing the sin of necromancy by going back to the old dead nature that is buried and saying, hey, how you doing? If you're married to someone 
and you flirt with someone else or you go and connect with someone else, it's called adultery. And what's happened is we are now dead to the law. We weren't married, but we're dead to the law. We have now been joined to Christ inextricably, irrevocably, and beautifully. It is ecstatic. It is wonderful. We are joined to him and let no man separate what God has joined together. But what many of us do is we're married to Christ now. New nature. We look like him, smell like him, feel like him, talk like him. Every aspect of his identity has now been given to us. And what we do is we go, Jesus, thank you for the grace. I'm not going to go and work hard to try and maintain that grace and be a son. And we go back to our abusive old self and we commit spiritual adultery. See, when you try and live this life by your own rules, by your own regulations, by your own internal scorecards, all you're doing is putting yourself right back under the law, saying, Jesus, your grace is not good enough. That's what it means to fall from grace. Falling from grace has got nothing to do with sin and everything to do with putting yourself right back under the law because grace is much higher than the law. You need to think again through the lens of newness. You're a new creation. And in order for you to live out your sonship, We can teach on the Father heart of God till the cows come home. But until you change the way you think and learn to agree with heaven's perspective about you, you will never be empowered to live an overcoming life. You see, friends, the greatest act of spiritual warfare that ever happened happened on a cross on a hill called Golgotha. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus stripped the enemy of all of his authority in that moment. Authority is the work for delegated power to act. How many of you know that everybody has got power in this room? We need to stop asking God for more power because he's already put the Holy Spirit in you. Power is the ability to act. Authority is the delegated responsibility to act. And God has taken Jesus in Christ, Jesus on the cross has taken the um, authority of the enemy to act in his power away. He's got no longer any authority, he's got no longer delegated ability to act. You can get happy at that. And across in Golgotha, Golgotha means the place of the skull. And for many of us, when we understand that authority is only ever given through agreement. When I agree with something or someone, I give them authority to act in my life on behalf of what I agree with them on. And for many in the church, what we've done is we've inadvertently given the enemy authority to act in our lives by agreeing with the accusation and the assessment of who he thinks we are. So when we say, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a loser. I can never achieve anything for God. There is nothing really good in me. All we are doing is agreeing with the enemy concerning who we are and our nature. Therefore, he has right to work those things out in our life. But when we agree with heaven, we are giving heaven the power to work out the reality of the cross in our lives and we live in overcoming life. The greatest battle that you will ever face is in your Golgotha. 
your place of the skull. It's not going to be by shouting at some demon on a mountain top or trying to figure out what the ancient strongholds of Hastings is. It's going to be by you beginning to agree with what heaven says about you and, by the way, about what heaven says about the redemptive purpose of Hastings as a town. The word agreement in the Bible is the word symphoneo. It's where we get the word um, symphony from. It speaks of many different instruments, many different sounds coming together to make one clear sound. What sound are you agreeing with? Are you agreeing with the sound of heaven? Or are you agreeing with the sound of the enemy? Because when we begin to speak words of negativity, when we begin to speak words that break down, when we begin to speak words that remind us of who we were, all it does is empower those very things to be at work in our life. Think again through the lens of newness. Change the way you think. Because when you begin to change the way you think, proving the will of God is easy. A renewed mind always demonstrates the will of God. And you know that your mind is getting renewed when the impossible seems possible. You know that your identity is being changed when you begin to realize that the impossible is possible for you. I was in, in, in the city of Durban in September and a gentleman came up to me, gave me a fat kiss, and I'm like, who are you, dude? Don't kiss me. And he said, I just need to say thank you because last year this time I was in a wheelchair. I'd been wheelchair-bound for 11 years. But in your meeting, God broke in and I was able to get out of my wheelchair and now I've got a job, I've got my family back, relationships are being restored. <clears throat> 11 years in a wheelchair. The impossible is possible. We prayed for a la- I prayed for a lady a few years ago who had one ovary removed. The other one had been surgically damaged so it left her barren. After prayer, she went back to the doctor. The x-ray showed that God had recreated a brand new womb. The impossible becomes possible. In England, this is a miracle, let me just tell you right now. In England, in the town of Bedford, it has now been nationally noted as the most generous town in the UK. Generosity has become easy for us in the city of Bedford, in the town of Bedford, because the church has begun to demonstrate what heaven's really like. You can shift something over a whole region by learning to agree with heaven. Who are you agreeing with? Because when you start agreeing with heaven and start changing the way you think, you suddenly realize that you can live in the reality of the impossible. Paul says, in view of mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. I don't know if you've ever heard a happy sermon on sacrifice. Today's going to be your first one. <laughs> you see, we read this verse, and I've done it intentionally the, the back way forward, because 
We read the sacrifice verse, and the first thing we think is, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to fast and pray now. Oh my word, I'm going to have to give up so many things. I might even have to double tithe, Lord forbid that. Oh my gosh, anything nice that I want, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I've got to be a living sacrifice. Oh, it sounds painful. And we look at this verse through the lens of pain. But if you understand what Paul is doing, Paul has throughout the book of Romans been using two contrasts, death and life, death and life, death and life. By the way, a sacrifice has to be dead in order for it to be a sacrifice. So he's trying to illustrate something here. Romans chapter 6, he says this, you died his death, now live his life. Throughout scripture, he's been using these two phrases, death and life, death and life. And he gets to, to Romans chapter 12 and he says, therefore... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because Paul is wanting to illustrate something beautiful. Throughout the scripture, the life that Paul is talking about is resurrection life. The kind of life that pulsated through the dead body of Jesus so that it raised him into life again and conquered death and sin for all time. That's a good kind of life right there. And so when Paul is saying, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, he's saying, you're dead anyway. (laughs) Therefore, put your dead body on the sacrifice as a sacrifice so that the life of Christ, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, will quicken your mortal body, so that your body becomes the conduit of resurrection and life to a lost and a dying world. This is not about you trying harder. This is not about you going, I'm going to double tithe this month, although the elders have asked me for you to do that. I'm just joking. This has got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with recognizing that your body is lifeless without the Spirit of God at work in you. N.T. Wright says this is an opportunity for the resurrection kingdom age to fill your body so that it becomes the vehicle through which kingdom is demonstrated. Oh, brothers and sisters, I want to sacrifice. You see, when the Bible... Paul says some outrageous things. He says, I make my boast in the cross. Who makes their boast in an execution symbol? Who does that? Nobody wears a guillotine around their neck nowadays going, I make my boast in the guillotine. (laughs) Nobody wears an electric chair around their neck going, I make my boast in the electric chair. Paul says, I make my boast in the cross Not because the cross represents suffering, but because the cross no longer has a body on it. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so my boast is in the cross, not because of suffering, but because of resurrection life. Which is why when Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he needs to pick up his cross. He needs to pick up resurrection life. The cross is not a place for you to think about suffering. It's why our communion time needs to get a whole lot happier than it ever has been. Because communion does not represent death. It represents a soon and coming king who is alive forevermore. 
And the cross in your daily life is not something you need to be crucified to because you were crucified to the cross and you are now resurrected in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ in heavenly places. And the cross now becomes the place of promise. Think again through the lens of newness. Because when you live like this, everything changes. And for too long, the church has been more preoccupied with their sinful nature. And we hear teaching about how to manage your sin and how to change your behavior when the reality is God wants to change your heart. Because if you can change the way you think, you'll change the way you live. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that you would offer your dead body as a sacrifice to become the conduit of resurrected life. That you would no longer be conformed to this present age which is dying and fading and has nothing but death to offer. That you would change the way you think and reorientate yourself around your new creation. And in doing so, that you would prove the acceptable, perfect, and good will of our Heavenly Father. When you live like this, the impossible becomes possible. And if you close your eyes for a moment, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. You might, you might be here, you might not be a Christian, you might be thinking, what on earth is this guy talking about? Well, here it is, very simply, I've got good news for you. God so loved you. He's been so in love with you. He always has been in love with you. And he's a father and he's looking to adopt and call you to be his own. And because of our sin, because of our wrongdoing, we've, we've missed out on enjoying the benefit of father's love. And Jesus is so kind that he's removed every block willingly and joyfully said we can have relationship with the Father, said we can come home, said we can be who we were truly created to be. And so if you've never surrendered to the truth that God is your Father and wants to draw you in, you've never understood what it means to walk away from your sin without any guilt, without any condemnation, without any fear of punishment, said you can enjoy Father forever. Today's a good day to be adopted into the family of God. And so with no eye looking around, with no one checking anything out, I want to ask you, if you've never, ever become a Christian, you've never surrendered to the grace of Jesus, you've never known what it's like to have newness of life, I want to ask you to quickly slip up your hand and say, Julian, today I want to respond. I will not call you up to the front, so I'm not going to embarrass you. What I will do is ask you to please meet someone at the welcome team and say, I'm interested in doing an alpha course. I'm interested in finding out more. And if that's you and you say, I want to become a Christian today, I want to be adopted into God's family, quickly put up your hand just across the room right now. I just want to give some people an opportunity. Thank you, sir, for that hand. Anybody else? It's one hand that's gone up already. Sir, please... If you could see some people at the welcome table, that would be wonderful. Anybody else, you want to respond to his good news just now. He loves you with an everlasting love. And the wonderful thing is that he's not angry with you and he doesn't count your sin against you. 
Anybody else? Just one last moment. You want to respond to him right now. Quickly put up your hand. All you need to do is lift it up and then put it down again. Okay. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? There's two gentlemen who put up their hands. Anybody else? Before I end this moment, I don't want to miss anyone. If you are... If you may be too shy to put up your hand, I want to encourage you at the end, please go talk to someone at the welcome table.